welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate, and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose, and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Mali Ponpadith, and today we have a special guest, Deborah Myers. Deborah has more than 25 years of professional experience in international economic development, including advocacy, public policy, and developing strategic partnerships. She has worked with major corporations, governments, non-government organizations, and international organizations to find solutions for issues facing the developing world. In 2009, Deborah founded Virtue Art to help people become more intentional gift givers by assisting them to select the perfect gift for their gift-giving occasion. The gifts are selected from a curated collection of handcrafted works of art by artisans from developing countries. The sales help artisans from around the globe generate sustainable incomes, continue their traditional craftsmanship, share their skills with the next generation, and ultimately help preserve their culture. Deborah, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Well, let's talk a little bit about this love for developing countries. Um, you know, where did the journey begin and what were you doing prior to starting uh, Virtue Art? So I believe my journey began uh, when I was born because my mother was Mexican and my father was American. So I grew up in a bicultural home and so we celebrated uh all types of um, occasions, and we grew up with Mexican food and German food. So I got a taste of uh, different cultures at a very young age. Then um, went off to college, went to got my undergraduate degree at UCLA, got the opportunity to come to Washington. And uh, the first couple of years, I worked in the, in the government, as most people do, or a lot of people do when they come to Washington. And then I got the opportunity to go to work um, at the Inter-American Development Bank, which is an international or a multinational organization that specifically uh, provides loans to countries in Latin America. So that's really where I started my work with um, work with and in, in uh, developing countries. So I spent 10 years at the Inter-American Development Bank, and I also started uh, traveling, uh, traveling my international travel. So from uh, the Inter-American Development Bank, I went into the private sector, and I worked for a, a French corporation, an American corporation, and then a British uh, corporation. Again, all working on issues uh, with the in the developing world, which is uh, quite interesting, particularly when you work for a multinational corporation. But each of them wanted to take the experience that I had gained in working for international organizations, working with non-government organizations, and um, you know, uh, not-for-profits, and see how we could use that to then 
you know, do business development or further business in parts of, of the developing countries. So when I went to work for the um, French company, I left. I had been working in Latin America, and they were very interested in the um, former Soviet, Soviet Union that had just uh, started to break up. So I started working in those countries, which was quite interesting because a lot of my, you know, names I had never heard of, locations I wasn't sure of. But we spent, I spent a lot of time working at that time with the World Bank and with the, um, as I said, in, uh, in those, and traveled to those countries. And then uh, the American company was interested in Latin America, so I went back to Latin America and worked in Latin America. And then I went to work for the vaccine business of GlaxoSmithKline. And there, the president of the vaccine business was very interested in getting vaccines, the very basic vaccines, into the low-income countries. And so he took my expertise, in again, in international organizations, the World Health Organization, UNICEF. I also was, we were also very fortunate because it was at the time that the Gates Foundation was getting involved in global health, and vaccines were becoming a very uh, important part of the global health, um, uh, the things that were being done in, uh, in global health. So there, I really traveled a lot, and uh, I ended up in my career, I have spent time in 70 different countries, and the, so, so I ended up, as I said, working at um, it, at GlaxoSmithKline. I lived in Europe. I was based in Europe, traveled about 85% of my time. And then uh, it came to a point where a number of things were happening. So I wasn't, I was not getting, uh, I was not recovering as quickly as I was from my long haul trips. So I could tell that, that travel was starting to um affect me more and more. Uh, I had been doing this the same job, even though it had been really great, but seven years, and I started thinking, well, maybe it's time to do something different. And then um, things were changing at GlaxoSmithKline, and so it was becoming more and more difficult for me to get the things done that I thought needed um, to get done. So that's where my... Uh, my, I guess, corporate career kind of, I won't say ended, but that's really where I started thinking about what was I, what was I going to do next? Now, when you were, when you hit that point, and this is such an interesting um, conversation to have because a lot of our listeners uh, have either been at that point where you're describing or getting to that point. When you reached that point, and again, it was all kinds of issues in terms of, you know, you're not being able to recover as quickly from your travel, a lot more tired than you used to be. There were all, all other uh, things going on with the changes inside the organization. But what was happening inside of you emotionally beyond the physical exhaustion? You know, did you know um, over that period of time that something was about to change or shift? Or was it kind of one day you woke up and it just kind of, oh, okay, I think a change has to happen? Was it gradual? And then once you kind of decided that that was the case, that a change needed to happen, what were your next steps on uncovering what were you going to do next? So I would say that it probably was a, a six-month period 
excuse me, where I saw that things were changing within, within the company. And so that was the first, that was the first, I guess, sign you can say that, um, I wasn't, uh, what's the word? Um, I was feeling, uh, out of sorts a bit in terms of, you know, of my workplace. Uh, but I, I had had that happen in the past and I, in the past kind of stuck my head in the sand sort of and said, Oh, everything will be fine. And then I, um, I was, um, laid off from my job. So this time I was a little more, I was trying to be more aware of, of what was happening both externally and internally. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I knew I had, as I said, I had been living in, um, Europe. I'd been living in Belgium for almost, uh, seven years. And so part of me, so part of me wanted to move back to the U S I thought, okay, now it's time to move back. Uh, my parents were starting to have some health issues. They lived in California. So that was one concern that traveling from Europe to California in case of, you know, something happened was not an easy trip to, uh, uh, to do. So that was one issue. Secondly, as I said, I was becoming, um, uh, uncomfortable with my work environment. So the first idea that I had was, okay, let me just try and get a transfer back to the United States. And so I, you know, I tried to work that out and that just didn't, wasn't happening. Then there were major changes that were taking place that started to take place in the organization. And I was not happy with what was happening and where I was going to end up in the organization. So again, I internally, I was feeling uncomfortable, but I wasn't sure at that point, I just wasn't sure what I was going to do. And, but I did start to think about that maybe it was time for a change that, uh, I, you know, cause I had basically two options. I could leave, uh, GlaxoSmithKline and, you know, get another, get a job with another corporation. Uh, but it would just be, basically be the same job, different, you know, different company, different product. And so I was thinking, you know, I've done this. Uh, I've done this. I'm really good at this job, but is this what I want to continue doing, you know, through the rest of my, you know, career? So that was one question that was going through my mind. And the other was, okay, maybe it's time to do something completely different. Mm -hmm. But as you, as many people that are your listeners probably, um, understand that's a pretty scary thing when you've been, when you've been working in a corporation, that's structured, um, that, you know, that you have a place to go every day. Um, so I kind of let it, uh, I let it kind of, you know, I thought about it. I continue to think about it and I have to be honest with you. So one day I just got very upset with something that had, you know, something that had taken place in the workplace and I went home and I just, I was, feeling sick to my stomach. And I thought, this is not the way I am going to continue my 
work life. This is awful. So I, the next day I went, I made an appointment to see the president of the, of the vaccine business. And he had heard about, so I got, I went to see him and he had heard about what had happened. And so I started to bring that up and I said, well, that's what I'd like to talk to you about. And I had made that night, I had made the decision that I was going to uh, leave uh, GlaxoSmithKline. I was going to move back to the U.S. and I was going to do something different. I didn't know what that was, but I had made that decision. So it, to answer your question, I thought about it for a couple of months. And then as things around me continued to, in my view, you know, get worse, or I wasn't comfortable in the, um, in the situation anymore, I made a decision. So I asked the, the president of the, of the vaccine business if, uh, to, be, to make me redundant and give, an, and give me a severance package, which was a pretty gutsy thing to do now that I look back. You know? <laughs> And after I told other people, they said, wow, because he could have just said no, and you just resigned. You know? Right. <laughs> right. But he said, yeah. Oh, he said, okay. And we agreed that I would. That was um, in September of 2007. So he asked me to stay through the end of the year to finish a couple projects that I was working on. And so I did that. And then I came back to Washington where uh, I had been living before I moved and I had no clue what I was going to do. I just knew I didn't want to do the same thing. So I tried consulting and I didn't like that. I tried uh, fundraising. I didn't like that. I tried different things. So I had what I called my think weekend. And so I told people, uh, this weekend, I'm just, you know, I'm going to think about what I want to do next. I'm not available. Don't call me. Uh, cause I'm just, I'm just going to be home alone. And so for the whole weekend, I just asked myself the question, okay, if money wasn't an issue, what would I really love to do? And at, by the end of the weekend, I knew I wanted to do something that was still international, that had an economic development impact, that I could work with women and would have, a, you know, again, an impact on women and children. Uh, I realized that I had shopped in everywhere that I'd gone. I always, you know, took time to go and look. I was always looking for that interesting, unique piece of jewelry or piece of art or something either for myself or to bring back as, as a gift for, uh, someone else. So it, so by the end of the week, I started having this idea of putting together what I call my passion and my experience. Didn't quite know what that was going to look like. And, uh, it took me talking to some people. I wrote a concept paper that people read and gave me their input and so that is through that process is how I came uh, to decide to start virtual art. And I knew nothing about retail. I had no retail experience. And at that time, 
you know, nothing about the working on the internet, e-commerce, any of those things, but I felt this is really what I want to do because I, one of the things is I have had the opportunity to travel and I've taken advantage of that opportunity. And a lot of people either, you know, don't have the opportunity or they don't go to some of the countries that I've been to. And everywhere I had been, I had seen beautiful works of art that had been created by local artisans. And most people weren't going to have the opportunity to see those. And so I wanted to bring the world to people who didn't travel as much as I did. And I also wanted to help the artisans. So that's kind of where I came with this, um, this idea and my, you know, and my business, I started to put it together. Wow. You know, I, I love that you've tried different things and it didn't just, you know, one day you woke up and you knew exactly what you were doing because I know a lot of uh, great visionaries are out there and they have different interests and trying to tie your passion into your experience can also be a daunting task, you know, like mapping it out, sitting down, like you were doing, pondering, asking your questions, discerning over and over again. Um, It's not an easy process and it sometimes doesn't happen over a weekend. It could take, you know, months, if not years. So I really love the fact that you did talk about it took a processing that, you know, to, to make this into a reality. It wasn't like you just woke up and, you know, launched in. And secondly, I'd love for you to talk about like now that when you did decide that this is what you wanted to do, um, and you, there were a lot of things you needed to learn, you know, internet, retail, how does it all work? Um, how important was it to get uh, a community involved, mentors, you know, professional support, hiring the right people, or did you dive in and learn everything yourself? Like, or was it a combination? So I, I would say that it was a combination. And the, if I had, if I have one word of advice for people who uh, decide that they want to uh, start a business or, go into, uh, do something completely different. I, so this is my view was I could do this on my own. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of, uh, people make and it was really, so I started trying to learn the things that I needed to know. And it took me, I would say, because I, as I, once I decided that this is what I wanted to do, that I wanted to create this company, it took me another year, I would say, before I launched. Okay. Because, because of trying to learn everything, you know, trying to learn what I needed to do, it completely, completely, um, ignorant. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so I made a lot of mistakes and I hired people, uh, to do things. And particularly, I would say that the most difficult thing for me at the time was, uh, was my website. I've gone through numerous, I had gone through, I, I have gone through numerous web developers and people telling me what they can do and not being able to, you know, to do what they say they're going to do. And so that was extremely frustrating. And so I would say you need that community. 
you, if you're going to start a business, try and find that, you know, support, go out and network. I was not a networker. I was not the front person in my career. I had always been that person behind the scenes that was, you know, doing things. So there were a lot of, in my journey, there's been a lot of personal growth, but I would say that, as I said, the, probably the number one big mistake I made was trying to do everything on my own by myself and trying to learn what I needed to know. And, um, that would be a recommendation if there is one is to, to talk to people who have done what you want to do, uh, and find and get their advice and, and their resources and resources. I mean, if you're going to do a website, talk to people who have, um, had websites built because they can give you a lot of advice and give you, you know, questions that you need to ask so that you know whether the person you're dealing with really does in fact know what they're, you know, what they're going to do, you know, that they're going to do what they say that they're um, going to do. So it's a, it was a combination. So it, I guess to answer your question, I started out on my own, but then after I would say a year and a half or so, I realized I can't do this by myself. I need to find people to help me. Great. Now, what did you learn to do very well over these years? Because your business has been around now for a long time. It's not like it just launched yesterday. 2009 was a long time ago. So congratulations, number one. And over the years, what have you learned to do very well that has really helped to sustain your business and continue its growth? Well, one Oh, I guess one thing I've learned and I'm still learning is how to delegate because, um, this business is my, you know, is my baby, my pride and joy. And so there are times when I think, Oh, nobody can do this, but me. And you can end up doing a lot of tasks that you could outsource or delegate to somebody else who could probably do it more efficiently and who can, um, and probably, and may enjoy that type of work more than you do. So that's number one, that's taken some, again, some learning, but there are the things that I love to do are, you know, the looking for the new products, looking for new artists, helping people select their gift so I need the help. So I've learned to find, try and find the people that can help me with, um, you know, all the social media things that need to be done, all of the website work, bookkeeper. And so I would say that, you know, as I've mapped out my, um, my tasks and as my business has grown, I've started looking for people that can help me, you know, take on those tasks now I don't at this point don't have employees, but I do outsource uh, you know a number of things because I just I don't have the time to do them or I don't I won't do them well. Let's just put it that way. Great. Well, that's some great advice because that's lessons that I'm learning and we're learning here um, at the Sort Community Network as well. You know, after being in business for almost seven years, it does take 
time to really realize that, you know, your baby can be a lot of people's babies because they can have passion um, around your mission and what you're trying to do. And they can rally around that and support. So I, um, I really agree with you on that. It took, took some time to learn that, of course, but yeah. it's definitely a valuable <laughs> lesson. <laughs> it makes a big difference. And it does catapult um, the business into really, you know, growing and launching and doing bigger things because you have that support system, that structure, and the community is so important for us. I mean, it's in the it's in the the name of our company, so I definitely value the insights that you're sharing around that. So let's take a quick um, turn into the mission behind your work and you know what fills you up about what you're doing, and let's talk about these artisans and let's talk about the gift giving aspect. What do you get out of it, and what do your clients? What have they shared they've gotten out of having someone like you and a company like yours to support them with a gift giving and the sentimental value of that. And I know that you work with individuals um, on a personal gift giving level, but you also work with corporations. So I'd love for you to expand a little bit more about the business itself. Okay. So uh, the other thing I will say is that my business has evolved and uh, I think that that's the way uh, businesses continue to be relevant and that they continue to grow. So when I started out, I was selling, you know, product. Um, just basically that was what I, you know, that was what I was um, talking about was my, the products, the artisans. But then I met somebody and worked with uh, this person who helped me refine or think through my marketing and so he said to me that one way that you could differentiate yourself is, you know, going through or talking about the aspect of gift giving. He said, because, and it's very true, gift giving, bring back the, bring back the tradition of gift giving. Because right now, a lot of people find gift giving as an obligation. They don't enjoy it. They wait to the last minute, and so while they're in the grocery store line, they'll pick up a you know gift card to Amazon or iTunes, and then that's their gift. And the person who receives it also then isn't very satisfied because they know that the person didn't take that much time to you know to select that you know that gift card. So what I started in terms of the gift giving. So as you read. My mission is to help people become more intentional gift givers. And what does that mean? That means to really put some time, effort, and attention to A, selecting the gift, and then to, to think about, think through the whole gift giving experience. So when a person comes to me and says, I need a gift, the first question I ask is, okay, who is this for? Is it a business gift or is it a, is it a personal gift? And then I have a list of questions that I go through. So if it's a, if it's a personal gift and let's say that it is a, a guy who's come to me and he wants to give his wife a, um, a gift. So we talk, so I ask him about, does she wear jewelry? Does she wear, you know, scarves? What colors does she wear? So I just go through and try and get an idea in my mind <clears throat> of what, she may like what she wears. I often ask, do you have a picture of her that I can see? And then from, from all the information that is gathered, then I will go through my 
you know, collection or inventory that I have. And I will pick no more than half a dozen, usually three or four options that then the individual, in this case, the man can, the guy can select the gift. Then whatever he selects, then I gift wrap it. There's a card, a handwritten card that talks about the artisan, how, how the gift was made, the artisan, the country, where it came from. And then one of the, so one is I get great joy out of watching somebody really start to think about and focus on this gift. Then the look on their face when they, when I give them the fully completely wrapped gift, you know, it's just like, wow, you know, I haven't, I, I haven't given a gift like this in a while. And then when they come back to me and they say, Oh, she just absolutely loved the gift. I've had people come back to me and say, you know, oh, my wife never took the bracelet off the whole weekend. Oh, or she put that scarf on right away and wore it when we went out that night. So, so one, one thing that I get out of it is really helping people in terms of, as I said, you know, bringing back the whole art of gift giving. And then the other part is that they're selecting from items that have been handcrafted by artisans in developing countries. So these are not your, you know, your uh, items that you will see everywhere. They're you know, either a limited edition or one of a kind. So the person is giving a, a, a unique item that is personalized in some ways by, you know, specifically color, style, um, or type. So the artisans for me, and this was from my international economic development background. So most of these items are handcrafted using skills that have been passed down from generation to generation, whether it's weaving, whether it's, um, sculpting, uh, whether it's you know jewelry making using seeds or you know I have a group that makes jewelry and, and uses orange peel as you know for part of the decoration. And I found that in some countries the artisans were having a difficult time you know generating an income because they didn't have outlets in terms of distribution and other people to sell their products two other than tourists, uh, expatriates that were living in the, in the, um, you know, in the country at the time or just, uh, local people. So the younger generations were not interested in learning those skills because they didn't see it as a way to, to make an income, you know, to make a living. So a couple things were happening. So the skills were being lost, which, I found to be very sad because these skills create items that are part of countries' cultures. And so in essence, they were starting to lose some of their culture. And young people not interested in staying in the local communities would then migrate to the cities looking for jobs. And a lot of times the quality of life in the big city was no better or in sometimes worse than what it had been in the, you know, in the local, in their local community. So part of me was, there's just 
I saw beautiful, beautiful items. And as I said before, people don't, people who didn't don't travel to some of the countries that I traveled to would never see them. And, uh, so I wanted to, as I said before, bring these, you know, to out so people could see them, but also help these communities, these artisans to continue those, those skills and preserve their culture. So those are kind of the two things that I get out of it. And so I love when somebody picks something and buys it and they buy it because they love it. And I love finding new works, you know, new artisans and new items that I can then bring back and show to my customers. And for me, it's, if you go, you know, people go to my website, all of these things, I, I follow the fair trade, um, uh, I, I don't rules, I guess is the, but, but all of my items are fair trade, but I also find that, uh, I wanted people to, I didn't want people to see this as a charity or as, you know, philanthropy. This is a business it's for profit. And I want people to come back, you know, and look you know, to my website often and see what's new and, and what's there. I don't want them to feel that, Oh, I bought something and I've made my you know donation or my contribution. So that's why you don't, you, I don't talk a lot about poverty alleviation. I don't talk a lot about free trade because I want people to view this as, as I said, a business that is doing a couple of things. Wow. Well, talk about passion and experience. You know, I think you're right about um, not so many people don't have the opportunity, whether it's economic reasons or whether it's just really, you know, lifestyle as well as the opportunity with you, especially with your work. You were able to see places that so many of us will not see in a lifetime. And I think that's a value because you, with your perspective and what you've been able to access and the relationships you've made globally, it does bring a sense sense of uh, connection to people because they can, through you and your business, be able to have intentional gifts that are so unique and that are speak to a specific culture or even a community um, and the spirit and the energy that I think is quite powerful. And it is a niche and it is something uh, special because the idea of being intentional is so critical uh, in this day and age. And, you know, the power of gift giving, the power of connection and um, with the technology being what it is today, just having that extra touch is the sentimental value I think is invaluable. So thank you so much for um, what you're doing. And, you know, at the end of the day, the social impact that you're having is still just as important. So doing profit, being profitable and doing good are very um, keys to what we talk about at the SOAR Community uh, Network and also on this podcast. So it's perfect. And so as we close out our interview, I'd love uh, for our audience to basically access you, go take a look at the products that you have. Um, can you provide them with contact information and your website information? Sure. So, uh, my website is www.virtuart.com. Also, you can find us on Facebook and, um, uh, Instagram again, Virtuart. And my, uh, I have a, an, 800 number 
that I can give you if you want to call me. And my direct email address is dmyers at virtuart.com. And I'm, you would think I, oh, and my toll free number is 866 228 3497. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your um, awesome work with us, your business, and uh, the, the niche that you've carved out, which is all about intentional gift giving, as well as doing some really good work for the communities around the world. Thank you, Deborah, for being with us today. Really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to share. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Well, all the best. And again, for all those listenings, please uh, check out her website, contact her. She even gave out her toll-free number. So please reach out if you have any questions and uh, want to support, want to buy, want to intentionally gift give. (laughs) And uh, really appreciate you all for tuning in. As always, we really value your support and we will speak to you very, very soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.